You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 1 and 2 this morning. One of the themes that came out of this Sojourn Network conference this past week was this whole issue of soul care for pastors, soul care for leaders, soul care for for people who are in in positions of spiritual influence. Because as Paul Tripp reminds us, uh, every person, even if they're a pastor or elder, is right in the middle of their own sanctification. They are dealing with the same issues, temptations, struggles, sins as everyone else. And, and one of the things that, that we re, was really put an accent on at this conference was, was this idea that, that pastors, in their call to be faithful, have to be able to guard their life okay, and their doctrine closely. And that this should be a, a burden, this should be a, a privilege to bear for all of us. And, and, and Paul reminds Timothy when he says this, 1 Timothy 4.16, we'll splash it up there. He says, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, that should get our attention, because on one hand, Paul says, Timothy, guard your heart. Timothy, guard your teaching. Persist in it. Don't go astray. Don't compromise the Word of God. Because in the process, you are saving your soul. You are clinging to Christ. But look what else Paul says. Paul says, but not only are you saving yourself, Timothy, you are saving your church. You are saving your hearers. And see, see, Paul recognizes what all of us intuitively know to be true. That leaders in the local church can be a source of great blessing, but leaders in the local church can also be a source of great destruction because the stewardship that's entrusted to leaders to influence, to lead, to teach, to preach, to model godliness, that when those things go out the door, people's lives are genuinely impacted. People's spiritual walks, people's souls can oftentimes be devastated, and I know many of you have been a part of things like that either personally or in your church or things that you've heard about, and and this is exactly what is being played out in the church in Corinth. So we've we've been plowing through 2 Corinthians, and Paul's concern is for them that these super apostles from Jerusalem have come in They've attempted to supplant Paul in his leadership. And as we're going to see in this text, we're going to see a very human side of Paul. We're going to see that Paul is tempted in a very personal way just to chuck it. Paul is going to be tempted in a very personal way just to give up, to not endure, to fall away. And with it, we know, would come a whole host of collateral damage and, and maybe for some of you, you're facing a similar personal circumstance this morning, that, that you have lost heart, that there are certain things that are, that are swirling and going on in your life. If you were honest, 
you were you were this close to walking away and you were holding on by a thread and so in our in our text this morning this is a deeply personal letter for paul and as we're going to see it's deeply personal for us so we're gonna look at two verses and the name of this title this sermon is have you lost heart splash it up on the screen for you. Therefore, Paul says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, here it is, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to endure. We want to persevere. We do not want to bring disrepute on your name. Lord, many of us are probably finding ourselves in the epicenter of some deep struggle and temptation that would lead us to fall away. And Lord, we pray that you would hedge us in by your grace and that you would open up your word to us, and we would leave here encouraged, leave here changed because of the the good news of Jesus. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. Amen. Three questions that we want to answer from this text. I think there's three things that sort of push themselves forward in these two verses, and and here, here they are. What does it mean for Paul to lose heart? That's our first question. What what is Paul talking about here? What does that even mean? Number two, what was the fuel for Paul's faithfulness? Okay, so so what does it mean for Paul to lose heart, not to lose heart? What, What was the fuel for his faithfulness? And then finally, what characterized his endurance? And then we're gonna, as we understand what's happening here for Paul, then we can in turn apply it to our own selves and our own situation. So, so in verse 1, look there with me. Paul says right out of the gate, we do not lose heart. Okay, what does he mean? As our kids yesterday participated in a fundraiser at their school and called, called the Gladiator Challenge, and it is every bit as horrific as it sounds. Okay, so there, there's obstacle courses, mud pits. I don't know who insured this event, but they were foolish. Okay, but anyway, there was, it's a wonder no one died. But nonetheless, they have kids climbing over obstacles, climbing over each other for 1.5 miles, and they raise money, and everybody's exhausted, and there's usually somebody hurt and crying by the end of it. But, but nonetheless, at the end of, of the fundraiser every year, they always have the adult, you know, the, the adult participation time. And it's basically where they shove all the adults out there, make them go through it so that they can take pictures and post them on Facebook. Okay, it's really, it's, it's, it's quite entertaining. And so this year, I, I was very clear, I had no interest, desire to participate in, in this portion of the day, primarily because of what happened when I did participate last year. So, so, so last year, you know, they trot out all the adults, and I kind of look at my competition, okay? And, and just to be honest, it was pretty lame, okay? I was like, I sized myself up, and I was like, I can do pretty good here. You know, I'm not in bad shape for a 45-year-old, and I can stretch, and, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm limbering up and doing my push-ups, and I've got Eye of the Tiger and Rocky theme just kind of barreling in my ear. And, and, and the gun sounded, and off we went. Three. Three minutes is how long I lasted, okay, before I tapped out, okay? I went through the first obstacle, which was about a tenth of the mile into the race, and I was like, I am not doing this. And so everybody's like, where's Pastor Paul? He went through the first obstacle. He's at the finish line taking pictures, okay? And that, that so, so that, that, my career was, was brief indeed. And, and you could reasonably say, right, at the post, the post fundraiser press conference, you know, Pastor Paul, he just lost the heart to race, right? He just lost the heart, the will. And, and, and in one, one way, yeah, absolutely, you'd be correct. Yet that doesn't really get at what Paul means when he talks about losing heart, okay? To lose heart, and I'm really indebted to John MacArthur and his insights into this, into this text. The, the Greek word okay, is not talking about something as simple as, and, and seemingly benign as like getting tired or, or being weary or discouraged. I mean, it certainly is that, but it's so much more. If this is what it meant to lose heart, then Susan and I would lose heart by 7 a.m. every day, okay, as we try to get that entourage out, out the door, right? And you would too. It means that, but, but it means so much more. To lose heart is to engage in a willful, cowardly retreat. To lose heart is a sinful defection to the other side. It is to cease doing good, but in return begin to do bad. You know, our son Jack's reading The Red Badge of Courage at school. Some of you may have had to, to read that. It's a story of a, of a Civil War Union soldier who's a coward named Henry. And, and during Henry's first exposure to live combat, he does what most of us would probably be tempted to do. He runs away and deserts his unit as fast as he can. He has lost heart. He has no desire to fight. He sees friends around him dying and being wounded, and he is guilt-ridden that he's deserted. And the whole book is just a story about how Henry regains his courage. Now, we could say Henry lost heart, but, but imagine how much worse it would have been if Henry had not only deserted his unit, but had gone to the other side, to the Confederates, and told them where to train their artillery and guns on his very friends. See, that would be quite another thing. You see, folks, sometimes you can become so tired and so disillusioned and so devastated about whatever's happening in your life you will do anything to end the war, won't you? That's what Paul is talking about. His struggles with the church in Corinth were so deep, so painful, so devastating, he was being tempted at some level to walk away. Why else would he mention this? He says, we don't lose heart, which, which, which tells us that was a category for Paul. That was a real category. There was, some, there was some terrible things happening in his life. And, and MacArthur says this as well. And this is so true. We've seen this so far in this study. 
If anybody could drive you out of the ministry, it was the Corinthians, right? If, any, if anybody could drive you out of the ministry, we've, we've already just gotten a small glimpse in our few weeks unpacking this book, but they, were, they just totally trashed Paul. You talk about being misunderstood or stabbed in the back, Paul had a front row seat to that show. He had blood, sweat, and tears, 18 months, lived with them, planted. I mean, you, you, we've, we've talked about this before, everything he invested, and yet they said he was unattractive. They said he was unimpressive speaking. He didn't have any pedigree or letters of commendation. He was out for his own personal financial gain. Paul was in it for himself. And so they began to turn after false teachers. And we know from reading this letter, we'll get to it, Paul was anxious. Paul was depressed. And he would be tempted to say, I'm done. Not only am I, am I walking away, I'm going dark. I cannot bear this anymore. Now here's a question, folks. What is your personal Corinth this season? What is your personal Corinth? What's the thing that's not only tempting you to give up, but in fact to walk towards something else? Why do couples who've been married 25 years have affairs and leave their spouse for someone else? Because they've lost heart. Why do men become absolutely obsessed with their hobbies and in the process neglect their kids? They've, somewhere along the way, lost heart. Why do people deal with their loneliness and isolation by accumulating massive amounts of crippling debt they could never repay? Because they've lost heart. And please hear this. This is, I think, we want to get to the root of that. Folks, losing heart at its most basic level is simply unbelief. It is simply unbelief. And here's how it happens. Because all of us enter seasons of our life with incredible expectations, right? We have expectations for our marriages. We have expectations for our children, for our careers, for our health for our ministries. And like we talked about last week, those are what we would call fading glories. They're good things, but they are passing away. And, and, and when we invest too much trust and capital in fading glories, we will be disappointed, will we not, every time. We will be bitterly disillusioned because we have been looking to those fading glories to provide something they were never intended to provide. They never deliver. It's always a case of, of unmet expectations. And, and please know, guys, that Paul, Apostle, he's a man like us. He's not just this super spiritual figure that's inaccessible. Paul was tempted in the same way. Remember, guys, Paul had the life of lives. He was a religious leader. He Philippians 3 tells us he was a, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he, was, he was on the inside. He was a moral man. He was respected. He was in the inner ring in his circle. 
He was respected by the the Romans. Paul had it all. But things changed, didn't they? When Paul began, was called into, and became a minister of the new covenant. And we've we've seen this in the last year when we went through the book of Acts. Paul was persecuted and mistreated at every turn. Jews tried to kill him, tried to repeatedly throw him into prison. When we get to chapter 11 in this book, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a Ripley's, believe it or not, of affliction, right? Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, beatings, lashings, stonings, being shipwrecked, natural disasters. Paul lost everything, humanly speaking. Yet, here he tells us, we have not lost heart. How about you? Have you lost heart in your personal Corinth? So what fueled Paul's faithfulness? Point two, let's look there. Back at the text. And here, I think, is the certainty and the fixed point that drove Paul's life and ministry, and it needs to be ours, and here it is. Paul says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. This ministry, we know, as we've been studying, is the ministry of the new covenant. It's the ministry of the gospel. And, and, and Paul has been talking to the Corinthians about how they now have a new identity. No longer do they, are they a part of the old covenant that, that is mediated by human traditions and forms. Remember, we talked about how Moses was the mediator for the people of Israel in circumcision and Sabbaths and, and rites and, and religious observances. And Paul says, no, no more. Now you have a new mediator. He's Jesus Christ. You go directly to God. In fact, God is mediating his presence through himself, and you now have a new identity. You have been given this ministry by the mercy of God. See, see, Paul didn't go around looking for the mercies of God. It appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And whatever your personal testimony, I can most assuredly assume that it, you weren't hunting around for mercy. God was hunting around for you. He pursued you. He initiated in your life. He showed you your need for him. That's what happened to the church in Corinth. But here was the problem. They forgot who they were. You know, it's, we're starting to see the first vestiges of, of Christmas season. And depending on who you are and your background, this, this either horrifies you or it exhilarates you. I'm quite excited, to be honest. So, so every year, November 1st, there's a man out on Thomas Hill Road who opens up his little gate that faces Thomas Hill, and he sets out his little nativity scene. Have you seen it? It's very quaint. I actually like it very, very much, okay? So, so it's not too early, this means, for Susan and I to start watching The Family Man, which we've only seen 100 or 150 times, okay? But we'll, we'll watch it religiously. So, so if you're not familiar with the story, Nicolas Cage... Tia Leone. Nick Cage plays a character named Jack, and Jack always seems to be the main character. Whatever. Anyway, he plays a character named Jack, and it's a story of a man who's lost his way. He's, he's in a sense, lost heart, if we dig a little bit under the surface. You see, 
Jack had been engaged to Kate, to Leone. And they were engaged, but he went away, and, and he ended up abandoning that relationship and the dreams of a family to pursue, pursue a self-indulgent lifestyle of high finance and power and success and materialism and promiscuity. And, and the plot line evolves as, as Jack is sort of trans, transported back to an alternate time when he and Cater actually married, and he had made a different choice. And now they have children, and he sells tires in New Jersey, which sounds horrifying, okay? Both New Jersey and tires. Okay, but nonetheless, sorry, Jerseyites, okay? So in this movie, Jack, whole theme is he has to acclimate to this new reality and rediscover what, in fact, defines the good life. What, in fact, defines the good life? Where has he been futilely looking for some kind of meaning to hold on to? And there's a poignant scene where, 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 where Jack is contemplating, do I go back to my wife and kids? And, and Arnie, his friend, tells him this. He says, Jack, don't screw up the best thing in your life just because you're a little unsure about who you are. Jack had lost heart. And he had to be reminded about who he truly was. And Paul, and this is so important for us, Paul says, the reason I am not losing heart is that I know who I am. I have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has poured out his mercy upon me. God has entrusted this ministry to me. How dare I walk away from it? I am not my own. Brooks, does does the the, the reality of the new covenant and the gospel just need to land on you in a fresh way this season? As I would say, if you have lost heart, you need to remember who you are. And so back to the text, to sort of kind of press this point home, Paul says, having receive this, having received this, okay? And, and, and I think this taps into something that I think oftentimes fuels this whole idea of walking away or fading away or losing heart. It's the, and it's the idea of what I call improper ownership. Not just who you are, but here's, here's this issue. Who do you belong to? And who does your life belong to? Um, as we are wont to do with the Food Network, Susan and I um, love the show Restaurant Impossible. Has anyone seen it? Okay, Robert Irvine, he's the chef. He's the ex-military guy from the UK, a very frightening man, okay? And what he does basically is he comes into failing restaurants and he makes grown men cry, okay? It's really awesome. It's, it's quite, he, he just gives it the what to. Your, your food is terrible. Your service is terrible. You're terrible, and I'm here to fix it, and he tidies it up, and then, and then they, anyway, and he turns, helps them turn the restaurant around. But what amazes Susan and I every time about these restaurants is that you find out that these restaurant owners have been pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into these sinking ships. They have emptied out their savings, and they've run up their credit cards, and they've, and they've cashed out their IRAs to keep this dream alive. And as you kind of pop the hood up a little bit, you begin to realize this isn't about a restaurant. 
This is, this was, this is about identity. This is about ownership. See, this restaurant was my grandmother's restaurant. And these recipes were my papa's recipes. And this is where I played in the back room when, when they were cooking food in the kitchen. And I've grown up in this place. And, and people have a convoluted understanding of ownership and obligation. Because we don't owe to the past. We press forward to the future. Paul says, I have not lost heart. Because remember, Paul knew who he belonged to. The word that Paul most often uses for himself is the word doulos. And our, our translators are oftentimes fearful of translating that word to what it really is. Some call it servant, some call it bondservant, but what's the literal word? Slave. Paul says, I'm a slave of Christ because he is my master. You can't be a slave without a master. You can't be a master without a slave. And Paul says, my life belongs to him. He owns me. And because he owns me, has died for me, I am tethered to him. He didn't claim this ministry for his own. So when things grew unbearably difficult, Paul did not grow bitter. Paul did not grow resentful. He was the Lord's, and the Lord's was his. So, has the Corinth in your life, Four Oaks, led you to forget who you really are and who you really belong to? Because if these these ideas of identity and ownership have not attached themselves to your soul, you will lose heart. Paul never forgot who he was or who he belonged to. That was the fuel for his faithfulness. And so it must be for us. Last point. What should characterize our endurance? So for for one who wants to not fall away, for one who does not want to lose heart, what will be necessary to shape that person's life. You know, whether you're a football fan or not, deflate gate has forever entered our sports and cultural lexicon, okay? Husbands, if you have wives who have no interest in sports, bottom dollar, bottom dollar they, they've heard of deflate gate, right? So what is deflate gate? It's what happens when the evil empire in Foxborough, Massachusetts decides they want to get skirt the rules, right? Any Patriot fans in here? You see, we would shame you. I, I, get behind me, Satan. I don't want any part of that. So Tom Brady and the Patriots, four Super Bowl rings. The allegations come out that they've been improperly inflating footballs or deflating footballs, and there's this investigation. And as they start to peel back the layers, they're like, oh my goodness. They've been videoing team signals. They have microphones hidden in the locker rooms. And they're, I mean... They're, they're just, they're a bunch of cheats. And so, so the word we use to describe corrupt NFL teams such as this, right, is they're underhanded. And see, and that's the word Paul uses. He says, we have renounced. Okay, so, so not only have we decided to, to press forward and not lose heart, but here's what we're pointed towards. Okay, we are, we are renouncing disgraceful, underhanded ways. 
literally those things done secretly or under the table to gain an advantage. And Paul says, we have renounced such ways. Now, the word renouncing is not a one-time thing. You know, I, 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 I made a profession of faith one time back in high school. You know, I, I, I did this thing back at this certain time in a certain place. The, the word is, is, is present. It is ongoing. It's not once and for all. Paul says, we are renouncing. It's an ongoing, continuous, daily moment-by-moment, decision-by-decision action. And it's just a reminder for us, Christians, that guarding our hearts, guarding our lives, guarding our doctrine is never a one-time decision. It is a daily decision to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And Paul says, I'm I'm renouncing all secret, underhanded ways. Specifically, look back at the text. This is what he says. He says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, before we unpack what that means, I I want you just to think with me for a second. What is the connection here that Paul makes between losing heart and then being cunning and then tampering with God's Word? What is the connection there? Why are those connected? If someone has lost heart, why are are they tempted to tamper or be cunning with the truth of God's Word? What's the connection between those two things, between losing heart and then not making an open statement of the truth. And I think this will get right down into our core issues when it comes to losing heart. Because um, about two months ago, World Magazine, and I I highly commend that magazine, Um, it examines current events from a Christian worldview. In fact, one one of our own, David Freeland, works for World Magazine, and um, there, there was a story, a cover story, about two months ago about a prominent church on the West Coast, and they had been planted out of the Tim Keller model of church plants, of reaching sort of progressive liberal cities for the gospel. And, and, and this church and this team moved into this very liberal West Coast city. They began to faithfully preach and teach God's Word. And that church, defying all expectations, grew. And the gospel began to change lives. But kind of somewhat unexpectedly out of the blue came the announcement a number of months ago that this church was leaving their denomination. They were discarding their prior teaching and convictions on gender and sexuality and the, the collateral damage that kind of spilled over from that has been devastating. Because, see, there was people, there was churches, there was donors, there were denominations that invested time and resources and money. And, and, and their sending church and friends all felt incredible betrayal at this underhanded tampering with God's word. 
What, what, what fuels that? What fuels that? What fuels it in your life? What fuels it in my life? Well, you see, behind the scenes, as it was reported, the pastor had an ongoing personal situation related to their child and issues of sexuality that were going on behind the scenes. And it was revealed a, a, a prominent multimillionaire supporter of these issues was making major donations to this church. And no one knows exactly how the people involved, how all these things are connected. But it does illustrate a point. And here it is. When, when God fails to meet our expectations... Or or when we lose confidence in the power of his word. Or God's not doing things the way we want. There is this very real temptation to lose heart. And that losing heart many times manifests itself when we begin to tamper and to twist and to change our theology to match our experience in reality. You see, there's, there's always that temptation to not conform our life to God's Word, but to conform God's Word to our life. And when that happens, that is always a flag and a marker. I am losing heart. And folks, this is not just about churches on the West Coast. This is about us. See, culturally, this church would would call it evolving, right? We're evolving. Paul calls it cunning. Paul calls it tampering. And it's the temptation for all of us. See, the word cunning, look at the text for a second, that's the same word that Paul uses to describe how Satan tempted and deceived Eve. Same word. Cunning. The serpent was cunning. And what what specifically did did Satan, the serpent, say to Eve? He didn't say anything. He actually asked a question. See, we're we're, we're big and culturally I'm asking questions. I'm I'm not making statements. I'm just asking questions. No, no, no. You're making statements. Because what did Satan, what did he ask? Did God really say? Did God really say? See, see, every one of us is tempted in, at some point in our life with our personal Corinth where we are losing heart to say, did God really say that? Secondly, Paul says we don't tamper either. And the word comes from this idea of the dilution of wine. So, you, so in that day, you'd buy wine at the market and to make the wine go further. They would add water and they would swindle and cheat people. Where, where in your life and in my life are we tempted to dilute the power of God's Word? See, those are always hallmarks of unbelief. These are always hallmarks of, of people who have begun to lose heart. And Paul says, we have not lost heart. We, we know who we are. We know who we belong to. And, and, and finally, he says, and this is what we do because of that. He says, we trust God and we make an open statement of the truth. You may say, well, Pastor Paul, in the midst 
of, of the temptations to lose heart in all these areas in my life that are crumbling, what do I do? And Paul says simply, tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Just keep it coming. Parents, winsomely, absolutely, okay, graciously, absolutely, but just keep telling your children the truth. Because Paul says the Word of God will commend itself to our conscience. What does that mean? Whether you're a Christian, non-Christian, pagan, whatever, in our heart of hearts, where the image of God resides, God's truth resonates somewhere in there with our conscience. And Paul says, we just keep on preaching. Corinth, think about a, a, a living, excuse me, pardon me, a living hell. Corinth, I'm not going to despair. I'm not going to lose my way. I am not going to lose heart. We're just going to keep commending the truth of God to you and your conscience. As Paul's just saying, be faithful. Just be faithful. Do not lose heart. Do not forget who you are. Do not forget whom you belong to.